This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. Outdoor education has existed in West Virginia for decades, but in recent years it has moved from holding regular classes outside to something more. It's using nature or using the outdoors and recreation to aid in learning. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. Today marks the 18th anniversary of the Sago mine disaster. Curtis Tate has more. On January 2, 2006, 13 miners became trapped at the Sago mine near Buckhannon in Upshur County. A methane explosion trapped the men, and after two days of hope, only one emerged alive. Federal hearings took place later that year in Buckhannon. The mine's operator, International Coal Group, blamed a lightning strike for the methane explosion. The respirators the miners were provided to help them breathe were not working properly. At least nine coal miners were killed on the job nationwide in 2023, and Chris Williamson, Assistant Secretary for Mine Safety and Health, says that number can be improved. We're, we all want to get down to zero. Like one, one mining fatality, whether it's a coal miner or a metal non-metal miner, is one too many. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. Three groups have asked the West Virginia Public Service Commission to hold three public hearings over Mon Power and Potomac Edison's latest rate case. Citizen Action Group, Solar United Neighbors, and Energy Efficient West Virginia asked the PSC to have the hearings in the company's service territory. They suggested having the hearings in Parkersburg, Morgantown, and Shepherdstown, and that one additional online hearing be held via Zoom or Microsoft Teams. The groups cite the high volume of public comments submitted to the commission, most in opposition. The PSC has scheduled an evidentiary hearing on the case later this month in Charleston, which is outside Mon Power's service area. Proposing reforms throughout West Virginia's Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation will continue to surface in the state's legislature's upcoming 2024 regular session. The two leaders of that embattled department recently noted some innovative progress that has been made on several fronts. Randy Yowie has more. Bad publicity, lawsuits, and allegations were some of the concerns that Division of Corrections and Rehabilitation Commissioner William Marshall and his boss, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Mark Sorsea, attempted to counter in a presentation to the Interim Legislative Oversight Committee on Regional Jail and Correctional Facility Authority. The subject, Conditions in Jails and Correctional Facilities. Marshall said jail guard vacancy rates were down while facility maintenance is ongoing. As of right now, um, we're down to uh, having about 113 doors, to be exact, that are need, uh, needed in repair. As you all know, that was a big issue for us uh, with uh, doors, door, uh, door frames, and door locks. Marshall said the department had to be good stewards of the $60 million now being spent on deferred maintenance and not just blanket spend that money. We're focusing on HVAC systems. We're focusing on... Uh, you know, uh, security fences. We're, fo we're focusing on water chases. We're, we're focusing on a lot of things that really impact the day-to-day -day operations of our people. And thus, I think that'll keep us in a positive light that we don't we don't operate our facilities with broken sinks, broken you know broken cell doors, 
uh, broken sally port doors, whatever it might be. Marshall told the committee a big issue for him was that throughout the jails when COVID-19 hit, they had taken their gymnasiums and used them as storage for PPEs or mattresses or water. He said whatever it might have been. So I mandated that every jail cleans out their gyms. If we had to buy storage facilities for them, whatever, we would do that because that's such a great inmate management tool to have recreation for those inmates where they can go in there and they can blow off some steam and they can shoot some ball or they can play cornhole, get their minds off of things, and, and you end up having a better, a better inmate. And along those same lines, we, we added workout facilities for our employees. Marshall told the committee that 35 facilities now have new inmate phone services. He said 12,000 tablets have been issued to the inmates and residents, which in the last year and a half have facilitated more than 677,000 virtual visits for inmates. Visits that did not impact the economics of a family, whether they couldn't drive, whether they had a vehicle to even have, could, could make it there, or a juvenile's family where they may not be able to get there to visit that juvenile. That's also 677,000 people that didn't come through the doors uh, that, that our, our employees had to deal with so they could do the job that uh, you know, they're, they're required to do. Marshall talked about innovations in the often slighted rehabilitation part of the department. He explained that those tablets have 170 life skill programs for inmates. They can go in and, and, and learn how to balance a checkbook, understand how to, to, to manage their life, budget money, um, you know, wash clothes, do dishes, all that kind of stuff. A lot of life skills. If they, get, if they have some sort of vocation or certification while they're in, they can get, uh, they can get uh, opportunities through the Department of Labor that's, that's connected to our tablets. Secretary Sorsea told the committee his thoughts on innovative ways of marketing the correction officer position in terms of working with the majority of people in the system that are not dangerous, but rather young people who have problems. The correction officer is the young person in a jail who sees an 18-year-old kid who's gone to jail for the first night in his life, and he's over in the corner crying as a mother, as parents. And, you know, the correction officer could be the person to go over there and give that young person a little bit of comfort. In a lot of ways, a correction officer not only protects the public from people in jails, but they're also, in some ways, they can be um, a social worker. They can work with inmates. They can help inmates. These were some of the overlooked issues correction leaders say are changing within the department. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 7.50. Decreasing cloudiness today, high temperatures in the 30s and low 40s, partly cloudy tonight, lows in the 20s, and partly sunny tomorrow with highs in the 30s and 40s. Support for WVPB is provided by the West Virginia Land Trust, protecting special places for local communities. Details at wvlandtrust.org. Outdoor education gives students an opportunity to get out of the classroom and into nature to see real-world applications of their lessons.
Such alternative education has existed in West Virginia for decades, but programs for younger students have started to pop up in recent years. For her capstone project at West Virginia University's Reed College of Media, Madeline Swecker looked at the effects of these programs in a changing educational landscape. Reporter Chris Schultz sat down with Madeline to discuss her findings. What is outdoor education? In general, it's using nature or using the outdoors and recreation to aid in learning. This also can be a type of education referred to as experiential education, which is learning by doing with reflection. Um, So a lot of outdoor education programs use that model to base what they're doing. Outdoor education itself has been in existence for a long time. It's existed in West Virginia close to 40 years, and it has changed kind of the way that it's looked throughout those years, where when it first started, it may have very much been just like going outside and learning about nature and learning about things relevant to nature. But it's evolved in the modern world to include modern topics like science and mathematics and those typical school topics, except in an outdoor setting. And I understand Um, that you have a personal connection. I came into college and got involved with a program at West Virginia University called Adventure West Virginia. I really fell in love with this kind of idea of outdoor education, and I worked with them all four years of my undergraduate degree because I was able to see the the benefits of this. If you struggle in a normal learning setting, outdoor education might be um, very helpful to you. You actually, as part of your project, went out to uh, another program to see it for yourself. What was that like? One of the kind of largest programs in the state of West Virginia right now is um, Science Adventure School. And Science Adventure School was based off of Adventure West Virginia, WVU's model. Um, And this is a camp for sixth graders. They work with schools all throughout the state of West Virginia. Um, It's amazing to see sixth graders who struggle like to, to be on task and to learn Um, and to make friends. They're talking to people, they're learning, and they're really, really into what they're learning. Based on, you know, some of the conversations that I had with the teachers that were also at the camp with them, um, because teachers do come with them every week, so um, it gives them kind of like a, a a face that they recognize, so they're not completely alone. But some of those conversations, these teachers, you know, like, they've never seen these kids so engaged, and, um, it's just, it's really amazing to watch and amazing to see. And it's its a great place to learn. So you were just talking about what this does for our students. What is uh, outdoor education doing for the state of West Virginia? Basically, what Adventure West Virginia has found is that having students come on a trip before they go to their first year of college at West Virginia University increases retention as the world is changing currently with you know, mental health crisis and COVID-19, these schools are popping up because kids were not able to learn in the way that they used to be able to learn. And so a lot of parents and teachers were searching for a way to get these kids engaged like never before. And outdoor education is providing some of these um, answers to the state of West Virginia. You're seeing a lot of kids in West Virginia 
who want to leave West Virginia. You know, West Virginia's had a declining state population for, for a long time, and more and more people leave every year. But what these outdoor education programs are doing at a young level, like even a preschool level, um, with outdoor preschools popping up, is it's giving these kids a reason to fall in love with West Virginia and become passionate about the state and its nature and its people. Outdoor education is, is combating a lot of these major issues that West Virginia has had for, for generations. Can you tell me a little bit more about the impact that we've been seeing on uh, some of West Virginia's younger students that have come through these programs? A lot of the data is, is very qualitative. These programs for younger students specifically, like Science Adventure School, has only been around for about six years. It's really hard to get kind of the longitudinal look on those programs when they've only been in operation for six years. So there isn't a lot of numbers and statistics for these um, programs for younger kids. Data on a national level has shown that, you know, these programs do improve learning for kids who struggle, that it has improved kind of that mental health aspect um, for kids that need it and that it does work. Um, but it as of right now in West Virginia, we don't really have those statistics. If you talk to any of those people or listen to what any of those people have to say, they will tell you that, you know, their full heart is invested in this and that this 1000% is bettering the lives of children in West Virginia. Is there anything else about outdoor education that you think is important for us to know? As the world changes, so is education. And as that all changes, we need to change with it. Um, and outdoor education is, you know, it's bridging this gap between what our students need in West Virginia and um, the, the issues that are happening within the classroom. Um, outdoor education is, it's really something that I think could help and improve the lives of students in West Virginia. That was Madeline Swecker speaking with Chris Schultz about her capstone project on outdoor education. You can read Madeline's full report at wvpublic.org. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Brianna Heaney, Caroline McGregor, Chris Schultz, Curtis Tate, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, and Randy Owey. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning. Mm-hmm.